Um, we've been talking about tests in school a little bit. Do you remember uh, like a, a, a spring term, a spring semester? Maybe it was uh, grade school, maybe it was middle school, maybe it was high school, could have even been college. And you know that summer's right around the corner and all you have left is one test. Just one final exam. And how you walk through this, how well you do on this final exam will likely determine how great your summer is. Meaning if you pass this final exam, you'll have a nice summer. Your parents won't be on your back, all these things. But if you fail this final exam, then you might have to take summer school. And it might kind of ruin your summer. The point is, there's so much to a final exam. There's so much to a final test. It carries so much weight. In this text, we're going to see just that. The sons of Israel, Joseph's brothers, though they've been tested time and time again by Joseph and God, now they're going to face their final test, which brings me to the title of this teaching, The Final Test. The Final Test. Will they pass? Have they grown? Have they changed? We shall see. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for this chapter, God, and this amazing story. Lord Joseph and his family, how you uh, how you develop this nation, <laughs> uh, a whole nation, the nation of Israel, this chosen people, and what it came from is 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 pretty astonishing. And these uh, broken, flawed men, uh, yet Lord, you used them, and because your hand was in their lives and on their lives, there was real change that took place. I pray that we would be able to identify uh, with some of these changes and you would reveal your deep truths to us that it might change us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you recall, if you haven't been here, I'll just catch you up to speed. Um, we are in Genesis. We've been going through the story of Joseph, which, which consumes about 25% uh, of the book of Genesis. So we know it was God's heart that we really know and dive into understanding this character in Joseph as well as his brothers, because we know his brothers ulti- ultimately make up what? The nation of Israel. Now, We've seen Joseph get thrown into slavery, he's been betrayed, he's been rejected, he's been falsely accused, he's been thrown into prison, all these different things have happened. Then he gets put in this place of power, literally at the right hand of Pharaoh, and there's this famine that happens that he's able to discern prophetically, interpreting a dream. That's why he's able to get put in this position of power with Pharaoh, and now his brothers, they were in need previously because the famine struck the whole world, the Bible says, and the brothers needed to go to Egypt to get grain from Joseph. And they've had these encounters with Joseph and Joseph provided for them, but he continues to test his brothers because he wants to see if they've actually changed. And we know that God is working here. God's doing something and God is using Joseph to bring these tests 
to these brothers. We'll see again here in Genesis chapter 44, the final test. If you recall in the last chapter, the brothers came back to Egypt for the second time. And there was these series of tests that Joseph um, used to uh, do just that to test his brothers to see if those changes took place and they have this big meal and he gives Benjamin five times more than the other brothers and he's testing them in their envy he's he's still building on these things because though there seems to be some change we don't know if if real significant lasting change has happened and Joseph wants to make sure that it has Genesis chapter 44 Verse 1, and he commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. So we see after the second time they go to Egypt, they're going to go back to Canaan to get this food back to their father. But look what happens in verse 2. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, that would be Benjamin, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. Now, you got to imagine these brothers, they fulfilled their mission. And we have to also remember that they were questioning whether they should even go back to Egypt because the money was back in their sacks and they didn't want to be accused of stealing against Joseph, but instead of judgment, they got what? They got grace. They got a blessing and they had this big feast with their brother Joseph, though they didn't know it was Joseph. So now we see they're getting ready to head back to Canaan. They have these full sacks. They have the food. They fulfilled the mission. Their hearts are probably lifted up, right? They're probably happy. They thought they might be killed, but now they're going back and accomplishing exactly what they set out to do. But then... In verse 2, we see Joseph, he kind of sets him up. He puts this silver cup in Benjamin's sack. At least he has his servant put this silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And this is all part of the plan. The test isn't through yet. Yes, Joseph is being deceptive, but it's for a greater purpose. Now, this silver cup we'll see is a cup of divination. Okay, now the Egyptians would use these silver cups to uh, basically uh, hear from the gods, to seek the will of the gods. And it's really weird, the different things that they would do. They would put like oil or an object in the cup, and depending on the pattern, that shape, that, that would determine what was going to happen. I don't really know how it worked, how successful it was, but this is the type of cup that it was. And we see Joseph has one of these cups. This was also a, a cup of prominence. Not everyone had these things, and silver was still a, a, a valuable metal. So this is what this kind of cup is. But it's really interesting when we compare Scripture to Scripture, we've discussed how Joseph is a type of Christ, right? And there's a lot of things in Joseph's story that coincide, that parallel uh, exactly precisely to the story of Jesus Christ in the gospel. See, this silver cup was a cup that the Egyptians used to seek the will of God. There was also a cup that Jesus referred to when he was determining the will of God. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says this shortly before he's going to be betrayed. 
Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Specifically, Jesus was referring to a cup of suffering. What's interesting about this silver in the Bible is uh, symbolism for redemption. Literally, the cup of suffering was the cup of redemption. And that silver color, again, means redemption. Now, the same type of scenario, Joseph is setting up his brothers with this silver cup to what? Not to harm them but to redeem them, right? He's going to use this cup to literally redeem them and restore them. This cup is part of the test. Look at what happens in Genesis chapter 44, verse 3. As soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you paid, repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in doing good. Now, what Joseph is doing, we see he set him up and now he tells his steward to go follow them, to get them and to confront them about stealing this cup. Now we see this cup was used for divination and we don't know for sure if Joseph practiced divination. This was literally a form of idolatry. You're seeking other gods for for direction, for the God's will in your life and all these different things. Now, there's no clear indication in this chapter that Joseph actually was practicing it. He says it, but it seems that he doesn't really mean it. And we'll get into that in a little bit because we know that when Joseph would interpret these dreams from the baker and the butler and Pharaoh, he would give credit to who? He would get give credit to God. He would say that God is the one that's giving him these interpretations. It's God that's imparting this prophecy and wisdom and knowledge to him. So it doesn't, it's hard to say, it doesn't appear that Joseph is really practicing idolatry, but we know that the law hasn't been instituted yet. So this wasn't something that God condemned yet. So if he was, it was one of those like, uh, let it slide because he didn't say that this was wrong yet. Um, so it, it, it's really it's really difficult to say. So let's continue on. Genesis chapter 44, verse 6. So he overtook them, the steward overtook the brothers, and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him, why does not my Lord, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us. That your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. So look what the brothers do. Okay, They say, hey, we're innocent. We brought that other money back. Why would we try to steal money from you? We've proven that we're not thieves. And they go as far to say, whoever you find this, if you find the cup, you can kill him. Why? Because they trust each other. 
They're leaning on each other. They don't think they can't fathom that any one of them would commit this crime in stealing. See, this test that God used Joseph to bestow on these brothers revealed their trust towards each other. Which brings me to the first of five points. Tests reveal our level of trust. Tests reveal our level of trust. These brothers, they were faithful to each other. They trusted each other. They knew neither one of them, any of them, could commit this crime. But so often God, when he tests us, it exposes us in our trust levels, both with God and with men. When we're tested, when we walk through a trial or a tribulation or things in life aren't going the way that we'd like them to go, it exposes the level of trust. Do I truly trust God right now? Or am I doubting him? Do I truly trust the people around me? Do I truly trust my spouse? Do I truly trust my children? Well, the tests will expose that. They'll reveal those things. And that's exactly what's happening with these brothers. They're being tested, but they're proving to trust each other. They trust each other through this hard time. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 44, verse 10. And he said... Now also let it be according to your words, he with whom it is found shall be my slave and you shall be blameless. Now this is the steward speaking, but Joseph probably told him to say these things, okay? Um, so basically the brothers say, you can kill whoever you find the cup with, okay? Kill him, put him to death. And he's like, whoa, whoa, he knows he's finding the cup. The steward knows he's finding the cup. He knows where it is. He's like, no, we won't kill him, but whoever it is, they're gonna be my slave. Joseph probably told him that because this was all, again, part of the test. Genesis chapter 44, verse 11. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and each opened his sack. So he searched, he began with the oldest, and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Of course, it's found in Benjamin's sack. We knew that was going to happen. The brothers didn't. And this is the worst possible scenario. Why? Because Judah put his life on the line to protect Benjamin. All the other brothers know how much their father loves Benjamin. His, their father said, if I don't get Benjamin back, I'm, I'm good as dead. I'm going to be so sorrowful. I'm literally going to die. So they tear their clothes. They react like they should react. Because this was a devastating circumstance. The worst possible scenario happened to them. It was Joseph whom they found the silver cup with. But again, there's a specific reason why Joseph set up Benjamin specifically. Remember... Just as Joseph was the favored son, Benjamin is the other favored son because they were both uh, born from Rachel, right? Israel's favorite wife, the wife whom he loved. So Joseph is using all these things, God using Joseph again to continue to test these brothers. At first, we saw in the last chapter, the brothers tested in several scenarios, but one big one as it pertained to Benjamin was the envy thing, right? Remember when Joseph gave Benjamin five times the amount of food. Why was he doing that? 
to see if the brothers would be jealous of Benjamin. They had enough food, but Benjamin got more food. And Joseph was doing that to test them to see if they were still envious. Where in last chapter, they were tested in envy. This chapter right now, they're being tested in loyalty. If we take Benjamin, what are the brothers going to do? How are they going to respond? And look at how they respond. Genesis chapter 44, that last part of 13, after they tear their clothes, it said they returned to the city. They went to go get Benjamin. They're proving not to uh, uh, not be envious anymore. They're, they're also proving to be trustworthy. They're also proving to be loyal. Point number two, tests reveal our level of loyalty. Tests reveal our level of loyalty. God is using Joseph to test the brothers to see if they'll be loyal to Benjamin. They could have easily said, whatever, sorry for you, Benjamin. You shouldn't have taken the cup. We're good. We got our grain. We're going home. But they don't do that. There's some change here. There's some differences. And we can also apply this to our lives when we're tested. We're, we're, our, our, our level of loyalty, our true level of loyalty is revealed. You know who your true friends are when you go through what? hard times when you go through trials who's there for you when you're at the end of yourself who's there for you when you're when you're going through a hardship well the bible tells us several times what kind of friends we ought to have and i love this one in proverbs chapter 18 if you flip there real quick in proverbs chapter 18 verse 24 it says A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Who would have thought? But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. God's saying, hey, there's friends in the body. There's friends in the faith that stick closer than even a blood brother. We know these men are Benjamin's brother, but will they be the friend that sticks closer to the, than a brother? Will they prove to be loyal? Uh, few years ago, I had appendicitis. Has anybody ever had appendicitis before? It's painful. I literally felt like someone was stabbing me with a knife from the inside out. For about 24 hours, like, I couldn't really do much. It started to get worse. I started to get a fever. Uh, I woke up at like 3, 4 in the morning, and I'm like, man, I need to go to the hospital. I hate going to the hospital, but I had to this time. Uh, so my friends, they take me to the hospital, and there I am at the hospital. They tell me I need to get... Uh, my appendix taken out. I needed surgery. And one of my friends, Dirk, who many of you have met, all glory to God, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't care if I told you this. Um, he stayed there with me and, and, and he slept on the tile floor just to be there with me. And I'm like, dude, go home. I don't need you to be here. I'm not like crying or anything like that. It's, it's okay. And he's like, no, no, no. I just want to be here for you. That showed me how loyal of a friend he was when times were tough. And he had a lot on his plate. He had a lot going on. We were in the middle of a term, but he put that aside and he put me first and he was, he was there. You have friends like that, that are loyal, that stick with you when times get tough. See, these brothers are proving not to just be good brothers. They're proving to be loyal friends. Now, this is also interesting We just saw that Benjamin is being taken back to Egypt to be what? 
to be a slave, to be literally Joseph's slave. They sold, they previously sold Joseph into slavery, but now they're ready to go fight for Benjamin to get him back from slavery. They're going to Egypt to do the opposite thing. Before they sold Joseph into slavery, now they're ready to go to Egypt to get Benjamin, their other brother, out of slavery. These are looking like different men, right? Genesis chapter 44, verse 14. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house and he was still there and they fell before him on the ground. Again, once again, we see these brothers bowing down to Joseph. That dream's been fulfilled like five or six times at this point. Uh, the, the dreams that his family would bow down to him. But we see an important character quality in these brothers. See, they're completely surrendered to the will of Joseph. They're desperate to get Benjamin back. But the character quality we see displayed here is humility. They're displaying humility, which brings me to the third point. Test reveal our level of humility. Test reveal our level of humility. When we're tested, we are, it, it, it's known whether we truly have humility or not. And we see this throughout scriptures. Uh, a great one is in Deuteronomy chapter 8. If you flip there, we see God's heart and one of the reasons or a few of the reasons why he led Israel in the wilderness for all those years. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, it says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. The Lord tests us to humble us. Okay. I've never met a person in my life that doesn't struggle with pride. Okay. More men than women, but pride is, is, is one of those, uh, 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 roots of, of all evil that inspires so much wickedness and pride is completely contrary to the way of the Lord. In fact, it's the way of the enemy. The Lord, he won't have prideful children. He needs to make them humble. And in order to do that, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it comes in the form of testing. He won't stop testing us until there's no trace of pride left in us. These brothers, they've been tested time and time again. Not only do they need to be trustworthy and loyal, they need to be humble. Genesis chapter 44. Verse 15. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Now, Joseph says, I can practice divination. He is confronted with his brothers and he says this thing. And basically what he's saying is, I had the supernatural ability to know that you took the silver cup, which we know wasn't true. He planted the silver cup. Now, we don't know if he actually did practice divination, right? Or if he's just saying this because he wants his brothers to believe that he has that ability to instill fear in them. It's hard to say. Genesis chapter 44, verse 16. Then Judah said, what shall we say? What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? 
Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of our servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, but we and he also with whom the cup was found. This is interesting. Judah says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. What is he saying that he's guilty of taking the cup? No, we know he's not guilty of taking the cup. Again, Joseph planted the cup, but he knows he's guilty. He knows he's guilty of something. Though he might not be guilty of stealing this cup, he is guilty of stealing Joseph and selling him into slavery. So that guilt is still weighing on his heart so much so that he needs to get it out. Okay, we might not be guilty of taking the cup, but we are guilty of taking our our brother and selling him and betraying him and rejecting him and all these different things. And we can sometimes do things like this. We can look at certain sins. We can look at stealing or we can look at lying or we could look at whatever. And we can say, hey, I'm not guilty of that. And because we're not guilty of specific sins, unlike Judah, we can come to this place and, and say, oh, we're innocent. We can convince ourselves that we're not guilty, that we are innocent. But the reality of it is, if we truly examine our hearts, we're often guiltier, or sorry, more guilty of more severe sins. What do I mean? Well, when Jesus addresses sins, one of the times in the Sermon on the Mount, he gets to the root of the problem. He gets to the heart and he says, murder doesn't start with murder. Murder starts with what? Murder starts with anger. And how many people are guilty of anger? He says, if you're guilty of anger, you've committed murder in your heart. What about adultery? He says, you lust after a woman with your eye. You've, you've committed adultery in your heart. And sometimes we can look at certain sins. Of, oh, I don't do that. Oh, I don't do this. But there's these larger sins that we've probably committed in our hearts. What we're called to do in those cases, whether it's an act of sin or or a sin of the mind or heart is to get those things out, to confess those things so that the enemy can't hold them against us. Judah is doing just that. He knows he didn't commit the little sin, but he recognizes that he committed the greater sin and he's getting it out on the table. He's claiming his guilt. And look at what it says again in that last part of verse 16. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. Judah is saying that if you're taking Benjamin, you're taking us. If you're taking Benjamin into slavery, you got to take all of us into slavery. This is very different than how these brothers responded when they had their encounter with Joseph and they sold them, sold them into slavery from selling their brother into slavery to be willing to go with their brother into slavery. Different men. There's definitely, again, change that's happening in this text. Genesis chapter 44, verse 17. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Joseph doesn't allow. He's like, I don't want all of you as slaves. I just want Benjamin as slave, as a slave. Why is he doing this? 
I believe he's trying to test them, to bring them to the end of themselves. Will they truly be loyal to the end? Will they do whatever it takes to get their brother back? He's trying to bring them to a place of love to evaluate whether they truly do have love for Benjamin, unlike the love that they lacked for Joseph. In fact, the Bible says that they, they hated Joseph. It's another, another test. No, no, no. We're going to keep Joseph. You guys go back. Be with your father. How will they respond? Look at Genesis chapter 44 and 18 uh, to verse 32. We'll, we'll read it, but basically it's Judah uh, retelling the story uh, from the beginning. Verse 18. Then Judah came near to him and said, O oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, May, sorry, have you a father or a brother? Speaking of Joseph. And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a child of his old age, who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And your father said, go back and buy a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is with us. Then we will go down, for we have not seen the man's face unless we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one sent out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But you, look at what he says there. He's talking about what Jacob said concerning Joseph. Surely he is torn to pieces. And then he says, and I have not seen him since. He doesn't claim right there in the present that Joseph is dead. He's still in the unknown. It's a form of confession. He's kind of getting it out there. Look at verse 29. But if you take this one also from me and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. What Israel said was if Benjamin doesn't come back, then basically he's going to die. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now we see Judah, he tells this story, but when we, when he tells this story, we see that his heart begins to get exposed. He's claiming, uh, and, and communicating why he wants to get Benjamin back. It's not about him. He's not saying because I might die. No, no. He's sincerely concerned about his father. My father's going to die if we don't bring Benjamin back. Please let us take Benjamin back so we can save my father. We see this love is beginning to be produced in 
uh, sorry, in Judah. Now, <laughs> sorry, as we're uh, a- as he's communicating this story again, the true heart comes out. We can see his level of sincerity, and that's exactly what tests do. Fourth point: tests reveal our level of sincerity. Tests reveal our level of sincerity. We see and we will see that Judah was sincere, but test really expose, really, really reveal to us what's in our hearts. God tests us to bring the impurities to the surface so that he might scrape those away to have something more pure. We see this throughout scripture. One I love, kind of, it's pretty intimidating, but in Isaiah chapter 48, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. The Lord tests us in the furnace of affliction. Why? Because when he tests us in the furnace of affliction, when the flames get hot, the real us comes out. And that's what's happening to Judah. The real him is coming out. He's just pouring out his heart. And we see with the communication that he's giving Joseph, it's a, it's a heart of love. It is a heart of sincerity. He's, he's displaying true sincerity, sincerity. But the Lord does this with us as well, as well. Do we Just say that we care about people or do we really care about people? The Lord will test us to reveal to us whether our words match up with our lives. And that's what we're going to see here in this next section. Look at verse 33. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. It's one thing. To communicate a touching, moving story. And that story, so many scholars say so many things about that story and how moving it is and how emotional Jude is and all these different things. Yes, it's a, it's a very touching, inspiring story, but it's one thing to tell a good story, a moving, touching story. It's another thing to back it up with willingness and action. And that's what he's doing here. Put me in slavery. I'm not just saying that I love my brother and I love my father and I don't want bad things to happen to him. I would rather Benjamin go back than me. I would rather my father live than me. I really mean this. And he's displaying a willingness. He's displaying an action. There's a change there. From selling Joseph into slavery to willing to be a slave. That's like a complete transformation. He's willing to take the place of Benjamin. He's a different person. He's changed. He's proving that he has love for his family. He's proving that he has love for this other favored son in Benjamin, not just with his lips, but with his life. And that's the love that the Bible talks about. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, John says, Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That doesn't mean don't tell people you love them. But it does mean if you tell people that you love them, show them that you love them. And that's what we see Judah doing here. He's not just saying this. He's not just saying, I don't want my dad to die. I I, I want to take Benjamin back, all these different things. He's putting his own life on the line. He's willing to be thrown into slavery. When we look at the Bible, love is an action word. 
It's not just an emotion. Love does something. First Corinthians chapter 13 tells us what love does. And we see Judah, he's walking in this love. He's not just claiming to have a heart of love for his family. He's proving that he loves his family. You see, Judah, he's getting it. And Judah's the leader of the, all of his brothers, okay? So he's, he's representing his brothers as he communicates these things. It's not just him communicating from the heart. He's a representation for his brothers. We see Judah as this test gets more and more difficult. When push comes to shove, when his life's on the line, he puts himself out there. He's passing the test. This final test, he's passing it. And he's passing it for all his brothers. These men went from envy and hate to love and sacrifice. They're passing the test because they're walking in love. Final point, love passes the test. Love passes the test. That was the heart. That was the goal all along to produce a love in them. Remember, it said that they hated Joseph. These men that had so much envy, that had so much hate, could a hard, hateful heart be changed to a heart of love? And we see it's happening. And God does it, not in an easy way. It's not like a poof change. He does it through a very difficult way. He puts them through extreme trials and tribulations to produce that heart of love. See, love, the Bible says so much about love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says when he's talking about spiritual gifts, he says, I'll show you a more excellent way. And what is he talking about? Love. Because then in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the whole chapter is about what? It's about love. And one of the things in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in describing loves, it says, it says this, love never fails. Love never fails. Love always passes the test. And Jesus, he said this in John chapter 13, verse 35, he said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. That was the goal all along, to produce this love in them, in him and in all the brothers. Now we see Judah, he's not just operating in love, he's operating in greater love. In John chapter 15 verse 13 it says this, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Judah is proving to be a loyal brother he's proving to be a loving brother in this act he couldn't do anything greater this was the greatest act of love he's willing to lay down his life for his brother he's getting it he's passing the change is actually happening now we have to remember god is taking these brothers through all these different things we can look at joseph and be like man he deceived them and he's doing all this stuff why is joseph such a messed up brother but it's really God and his sovereignty shaping and molding these men. Because why? Who are these men going to become? They're going to become the men that make up the nation of Israel. God is determined to mold them and shape them into men of love. See, self-sacrificial love defines the leader. That's the goal for God and every leader in every person that we would get to this place of self-sacrificial love, this greater love, willing to lay down our lives for each other. And we see the Lord do this throughout Scripture. He challenges people to see if they're willing to put themselves on the line for their people, for their flock. We see it with Moses in Exodus chapter 32 when God wanted to have all of the um, 
all of the Israelites slain for worshiping the golden calf. Moses put himself out there and he didn't want it to happen. He didn't want them all to die, but we do see 3,000 die. But Moses, he proved to have this self-sacrificial Love, God was making his leader. We see it with David, right? Even as a young man, when his people are up against this huge giant in the person of Goliath, David, he puts himself out there, just like he did with the bear, just like he did with the lion for his sheep. He put himself out there. He was willing to lay down his life so that his people could be be saved. That self-sacrificial love was produced. We also see it with Paul in Romans chapter 9. He says, this is crazy. He says, I would rather my people know the Lord and me be condemned. That's crazy. That's how much love he has. He was willing to put his soul on the line. But that's the type of love that God was trying to produce in these men. And that's the type of love that he's trying to produce in Ah, see, in the last few weeks, last couple months, I guess, we've been talking about testing quite a bit, right? From the beginning of Joseph's story in Genesis chapter 37, all the way up to this point, we've been discussing testing a lot. Maybe you've been going through testing quite a bit in the last few months, and maybe that's why God has us in these chapters discussing these specific things. Regardless of what's happening in this family's life or in your family's life, there is a profound truth that's revealed in this text and in the Bible as a whole. God tests us to grow us. In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, summarized, he basically says, God tests us to mature us. And if you look at a mature Christian, What would be the one word that defines them? It would be love. A loving Christian is a mature Christian. That's always been God's goal for his people. He wants them to be a loving people. He wants us to be a loving people. Regardless of what's going on in your life and how severe the tests are, you can rest assured on this one thing, that God loves you. And he's using all these things to try to produce a deeper level of love in you. Love is both the purpose of the test and the way to pass the test. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for how you're so clear in your expectations, God. Love. The love that you talk about in 1 Corinthians 13 and throughout the scriptures Lord, that's, that's not a natural love. That's a supernatural love. And we know we can't love the way that you've called us to love without um, your divine nature, without the power of your spirit. So I pray, God, that you would give us hearts of love, that we would be self-sacrificial people, that we would put ourselves out there for our friends, for our family, for people in general. We know this is the goal. You're trying to bring us to that place. And sometimes it can get so hard. We can become so selfish and concerned with what's going on in our lives and forget the people that are going through other stuff right next to us. I pray if there's an opportunity for any of us to to reach out and display your love to someone, uh, a neighbor, a brother, a sister, a spouse, whoever it may be, God, I pray that you would put it on our hearts and you would give us the power to walk in that. In Jesus' name, amen.